0: listener discretion is advised as the Ebenezer's podcast may contain suggestive and or triggering themes and overall adult content oh. welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Ebenezer's podcast this is Doreen and we also have Jobby. Um, so with everything going on right now we felt that it would be the perfect time to talk about diversity and inclusion And we have a special guest, Veronica Pennington, who is here to talk about how she does this for her job. So uh, Veronica, say hey to everybody.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So workplace diversity is defined as understanding, accepting, and valuing differences between people, including those of different races, ethnicities, genders, ages, religions, disabilities, and sexual orientations with differences in education, personalities, skill sets, experiences and knowledge base.
2: Are you okay? So, did you did you breathe? Did you take
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know right? I was like, whoo, yeah, girl? This, this is not ending. Um, <laughs> so Veronica, since you work at a college, um, well, first you want to tell us a little bit about you and and how diversity and inclusion looks for you.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I work at a vet school. Um, which is actually really interesting when we're t- when talking about diversity and inclusion, um, just because it is literally the widest health profession, so it clearly cares a lot about increasing its diversity. The way that I think that's a little bit different than like maybe the corporate world. Um, for me, especially because we are a state institution, we have a lot of I feel like limitations in what we can and can't do, and changes that we're looking to make take a little bit longer just because of all the um, processes of being a state institution. And so I, to me, I would think that's kind of like the biggest difference for sure between higher education where I work versus kind of just the general corporate world.
2: You said it's like the whitest place, but you work or is it because of the profession or is it because of
1: the So veterinary medicine itself um, is as a whole, the widest health profession. Um, it's, about 80 percent white female oh wow um and so most vet schools there's 32 in the united states most vet schools have that a similar issue where the class pretty much reflects the profession and so my work um focuses a lot on trying to change that
2: that's really interesting like first of all the fact that there's only 32 I that was surprising two, right and then yeah. so i i mean i guess we'll get into this a little bit later as to why um this profession just doesn't seem to be drawing in more people of color. That's really interesting to me. Like, but then I think about it, I'm like, I seek my cats to you know, the vet and yeah, most of the staff are white or Hispanic actually. Um, yeah. In my area in particular, most of the, I think most of the staff is Hispanic if I'm not mistaken.
0: So for me, when we were talking about doing research for this particular topic, I felt like um, diversity and inclusion in the workplace can really be difficult for a lot of companies, despite the fact that it actually helps the companies do better. I'm going to go into some of the like statistics into how diversity and inclusion can actually help corporations, but I think it's really important that it starts in, in college, right? Because if you learn it when you're learning... You're more likely to implement some of those practices when you start entering into the work field.
1: Hundred percent. I I would say it starts really in childhood. I mean, what you learn from your family is kind of what you're molded to to grow up to be. And and if you have a family or you live in, with a family who has a lot of prejudices, it's going to be really difficult for you to look beyond those prejudices once you're older. Um, not saying it's impossible. Like, I know a lot of people who grew up with, um, I would say, more conservative backgrounds and have kind of, like, flipped entirely the, the other direction, uh, which is really great. <laughs> I think, also, if you grow up like that, there's, like, a, must be, like, a light switch goes off. Like, if you go off to college, it's, like, get to be around different ideologies. And so, yeah, I would say, definitely, I think it starts at childhood.
2: Yeah. I wonder what that's like for, I mean, because you say you know people personally. I don't know anyone personally who had the background of like super, you know, conservative background, um, possibly even the racist grandma. I mean, I know friends that have like racist grandmas, but like not someone who's like really pushed into that. Like for those people that, you know, like, what did they say? Like was like the biggest thing that made them flip?
1: Yeah, I would hundred percent agree with that. But for me, I think it even starts earlier. Um, I would say it starts at the home life when you're younger and more impressionable and, All you know is what you're being told by the adults or your family who you trust. But there's definitely people who grow up and are able to kind of outgrow that mentality once they start experiencing different people and different situations um, and seeing that maybe what they were taught when they were growing up isn't necessarily like the absolute truth.
2: These individuals that grow up in that mindset and have the ability to think outside of the box of what the box they've been put in once they do see diversity and inclusion things like that and they do make that switch i think that's interesting but then i think it's even more interesting the people that hold on to those beliefs even when they are put into those situations like they're just so steadfast of what they believe i guess it's kind of like personally for me because i'm i mean not hugely into religion or anything like that but like someone who's grows up into the church is completely devout um and then they're exposed to those differences and you know thinking outside the box, but they're just like, no, there's nothing else, you know, like, there's no way that they question what it is that they grew up with. I don't know, those are the kind of people that, I mean, I guess you, we don't really, can't expect too much change from.
1: Yeah, and uh, there actually are studies that show that people with prejudices and and, um, just outright racist people tend to have lower IQs than people who are a little bit more accepting of differences, which I find to be um, kind of hilarious but also it, it's I mean it just truly does mean that they don't have any critical thinking skills they don't know how to question because they just only believe in anything that they're told and that's always the absolute truth um, so it is really great when people who grew up like that are able to kind of start thinking from for themselves and become a little bit more true to themselves I guess as like cheesy as that sounds
0: so I, it's, that's interesting because I, um, I did a lot of research on the, um, the fact that a lot of the medical bias against like, Black people in hospital settings, especially, and just getting treatment in general. Like, they say that millions of African Americans or Black people have been treated unfairly because doctors, nurses sometimes think that we feel pain less than other people do. They don't take our symptoms as seriously. They don't know how to recognize like inflammation and our skin color, skin tones. Um, They're not really that well-educated on doing it for all the different races. And, And if you really want to see something scary, look how many Black women are dying during labor in the U.S. We have one of the highest rates in the world, which makes zero sense, but it's because of this bias. Um, Yeah, so it it can be, I think it, it, even though a lot of people who believe a lot of these crazy things are uneducated, even educated people still have a lot of bias that they may or may not realize that they have.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, probably should have started this off i think at the top by saying everyone has bias whether you know it or not there's something called implicit bias which is biases that you have that you just subconsciously think like for me um a really good one is because of where i grew up and kind of where i live now if i see someone wearing camo or just in camo i automatically assume they're a racist redneck which is a horrible thing to think and it's not horrible to have the thought it's horrible to have the thought and keep going about your life like, well, I guess they are a racist redneck. Um, because we all, like I said, have those biases and prejudices. And the important thing is to recognize it in yourself. Um, call yourself out in that moment, which I have to do every time I see someone wearing camo. <laughs> um, and am like, why did I just have that thought? Make it like, make yourself very aware of the thought you have in that moment and kind of like dissect why you're having a thought. And so it's still a little difficult for me to see people in Jordan camo, but it's definitely a lot easier for me to recognize that that's a bias that I have and they could very well be a very nice person. Maybe they're one of the rednecks for Biden people. I don't know.
2: They have the same bias to be honest. I mean, I think that's just a natural reaction. I think for a lot of people of color um, because that's kind of what works, what we've seen of what the majority of, I guess, racist, and prejudiced people look like Um, but I mean that's not necessarily true either like it's like you're right you know you have to call yourself on it I I do the same thing like if I see someone you know looking a certain way like there's um, you know like you said like camo or like even you know if you have like the American flag on you somewhere I'm just gonna assume (laughs) you literally could just be wearing a shirt you found at a thrift shop but if it has the American flag on it and you're white, I'm going to assume for some reason in me that there's a poss- great possibility that you're a racist person. And mm-hmm. that is totally unfair um, to those individuals. Um,
0: it is, but it's because a lot of people hide their racism behind patriotism. Patriotism? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so that's yeah. what makes that a- that association. It's not like... I mean, you can still love your country and not be a racist, but usually yeah. like, USA all the way, let's make America great again. Those people are usually racist and they like to like put on the flags and all that stuff. But um, yeah, we, I guess we do all have a lot of biases. I know that I had one today that was not great that I got called out on. And I was like, look at that person. I'm not going to say what ethnicity they were, but I was like, they have on sneakers instead of sandals today. And he was like, what? That's mad racism. <laughs> oh, no. and I was like, that's my bad. You're right you're right you're right you're right let me pull,
2: <laughs> let me pull back i'm a bitch <laughs> that's good i'm glad that you have a friend someone to call you on it too because i think some people are too afraid to do that um, for each other and it's really important that's a that's a good friend he caught you and he was like "Nah, no nah, don't do that don't do that yeah. <laughs> my mom <laughs> had a moment like the other night um when we were on i was chatting with her and my sister and i looked at her and i was like do better do better. She's like, but? And I was like, girl.
1: (laughs) Similar to what Doreen was saying, yeah, everyone does have those those biases, but they're not always something bad. They're not always something controllable. Um, That's why some are called implicit or unconscious bias. And it doesn't matter why you have the bias. It just matters that you are aware of it and that you stop yourself actively from having that bias.
2: This obviously all ties into... You know, this education training that you're doing um, within your field. Because again, you have many people that come from different walks of life, what have you. What are some of the things that are keeping diversity from really happening at these colleges that you, that you see? I mean, is it the people in, um, that are in, heading these colleges that maybe have implicit biases and what have you? But it seems like they're trying to make progress by having someone like you on their team that's in charge of diversity and inclusion.
1: I think in some instances it can be because of the administration. There obviously is not a vet a vet school in every state since there's only 32 schools and uh, 50 states. So
2: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm so tired. It took me a minute. You're like, there's not in every state. And I was like, but wait, how many states? Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. like some of those states are a little bit behind um, others who are maybe more progressive. But I, I would think maybe in those instances it can be administration, but unlike a lot of, big corporations who say it's a pipeline issue. For vet med, it is very truly a pipeline issue. Our class size is about 150 and we get about 1200 applications. And so when we go through those applications, it's not a big percentage that are applicants of color. And so Tuskegee has a vet vet school. Obviously they don't have the diversity issue that most of the other vet schools do. Um, They just I guess maybe they do have their own issue in that they skew heavily either Black or African-American, obviously, because they're an HBCU. forgot where I was going with this. What was I talking about? Um, Oh, sorry. Yes, that it truly is a pipeline issue. So there will be some schools who don't have that pipeline issue, like UC Davis in California, Arizona State, Texas. So it's very clear kind of the theme at those states who don't have issues with the pipeline Um, versus the other schools who truly do have a pipeline issue, um, take a shot every time I say the word pipeline.
2: (laughs) Um, Do it, Doreen, do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would say that's definitely one of the biggest barriers for us is attracting um, quality students of color to vet med. So a lot of the work that that is happening in the profession right now is actually – aimed at uh, K through 12 students or even K through five. Uh, The research shows kind of the earlier and sooner in your life that you're introduced to vet med, um, the more likely that you'll be to actually consider it as a profession. People who say they want to be a doctor don't say I want to be a doctor of vet med. And that's just because human doctors get a lot more praise than that. I sorry, human people who treat humans, they get a lot more praise than veterinarians do. And the fact is, I feel like, and I've gone to neither vet school nor medical school, but I feel like vet school and the profession as a whole is so much harder than working on humans. Obviously, your client can't talk to you and say, oh, no, I ate a tennis ball, and now my stomach's going to explode or whatever. Aww. So there's so much more, like, deductive reasoning that the vets have to do. Um, sorry, that was a tangent. I just get rid of that, like, nobody gives vets the respect that they deserve. and Oh, my God. They totally deserve yeah. it.
2: I totally do. Every time I go, um, when you find a good vet, like, like, I've gone through a couple, obviously, being a pet owner. And our vet now that we have, um, he's amazing. Like, I love when I go to see him and the way he just talks to like my cats. I'm just like, thank you so much. You love them. And you know, no matter yeah. what, he's like, they did great. They're so great, and they're so beautiful. And like he talks to them like they're babies, and yeah, like human babies.
1: That's truly do care about their clients. I mean, their prices are a little bit more higher than um, like going to see a human doctor one, because most people won't get insurance for their pets. But two, just because the way that they have to adapt. Like there are not very many um, medical tools that are created like animal specific, so they have to like adapt so many things that are made for humans to work for animals. At our school, they they did like a surgery on um, a koi fish, and it's like,
0: oh, how, what?
1: Yeah, a like a koi fish. Oh. They removed like a tumor, a cancerous tumor. Yeah.
2: Dude, you just blew my mind. I
1: know. It's so cool.
2: Oh, (laughs) my God. Like, did you watch it?
1: Oh, I wish. No. I just thought, like, they, like, run water over the gills. So, it stays, like, yeah, it's crazy. But, anyway, so, the point is, the younger that you are, that you get introduced to vet med, um, the more likely that you are to consider it as a profession. And so, not only are we focusing on K-5 through as a whole, but... K through five in areas with high numbers of historically underrepresented minorities. So that's black African-Americans, Hispanic, uh, Latinx, Asian-American, Native American, all the ethnicities that you would assume are considered underrepresented minority are underrepresented in vet med, um, And surprisingly men are as well. So those are huge, those are huge kind of populations that we work on recruiting. And so get, for those kids to get to hear about, you know, having a surgery on a koi fish um, to get them so excited about it. So much more than just cats and dogs. Uh, one of our vet students is hoping to be a vet for NASA. Like how cool is that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's Are really going to send the animals to the space to die? Because I mean, that's what it sounds like.
1: They have the, um, animals like at the space station, not space station, my bad, wherever NASA is. Listen, if you were smart as me, you would really know the words right now. Uh, We have animals there that they use, they have like different research and there are research animal vets. Like, so mice or whatever get tested on and they need to have vets there to say, this is a normal reaction to the medicine or like this is kind of like a fluke happening. Um, And it is really sad. I I know a student who wants to be a research uh, animal veterinarian and she's I was like how do you like how is that not so sad for you And she's like it's sad but that's research that literally saves lives like people just realize how much work is done with animals um that overlaps on human medicine it's insane like even as soon as COVID hit and everything veterinarians were working just as hard as human doctors and research doctors and so there's so much overlap between the two professions um there's a thing called One Health where it's essentially that, like, animals helping people, people helping animals, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's really interesting, and and getting those students to kind of understand the different possibilities available to them beyond just treating cats and dogs, um, and getting them to see, like, maybe you haven't seen a vet of color, but there are vets of colors, like, there are people who look like you working this profession, you can do it, like, don't have anyone stop you, um, and so, in that regard, pipeline, take a shot for us, isn't it? <laughs> but it's not the only issue. There's lots of other barriers for people of color. Um, one of them is probably just the application itself for vet school is a couple hundred dollars. Um, that's just for the main application. Then you have to pay another hundred something per uh, school that you apply to. And then some of those schools will have their own application that you also have to fill out and pay another fee. So, I mean, you can easily spend two to three thousand just applying to that school. Um, And unfortunately, it's usually students of color who are having to work through college to pay for their uh, loans, pay for their apartment, pay for their family. So they're not able to get the same experiences that more affluent applicants are. um, And historically, those are the white females. And no shame to them like I love my students I love my white girls um it's just like that is just a huge barrier for people of color trying to enter vet med is just money and it's sad um there are some vet schools who are doing away with some of the standardized testing which is in itself another like it's just like thing after thing after thing that people of color no matter where you are you're you just have all these hurdles it's so crazy like The standardized, the GRE itself has so much research showing that even that is um, prejudice against people of color. Wow. I mean, one, likely you cannot afford to have some of the tutors that other students may have Mm -hmm. um, because their families have money. That just level is not equal. Like, it's not equal grounds. Um, Two, you can likely only afford to take the GRE once because that's another couple hundred dollars. Um, where some students are able to take it multiple times and improve their scores. So, and three, just the way the, the GRE questions themselves are written has been shown to be like prejudice against people of color, so.
2: I have a quick question. So for both of you, uh, I want to know your thoughts on this. Um, I wonder also if the lack of interest from the um, minority communities also goes into um, how most minorities, or at least in my experience being a black woman growing up in a black household, um, how they perceive animals. Um, A lot of black parents don't see animals as equal like, or as like what pets should really be. Um, So there's really kind of like a negative, um, I guess a negative outlook on taking care of animals properly. Um, Like the running joke kind of thing is like, you know, if you if you're black and you have a dog, your dog is probably up on a chain um, in in the yard somewhere like around the tree and you just you barely walk it and like, you know, um, you know, you just feed it and make sure it's fine or whatever. But there's no real like connection. Um, Personally, for me, I had to cut my parents off with pets (laughs) because the last time that um, I walked into the house and this is years ago. And my sister's rabbit was, like, on its side. And I go downstairs, and I'm like, Mom, what's wrong with the rabbit? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, the rabbit upstairs, (laughs) like, it's on its side. she's like, oh, it's been like that for, like, a few (laughs) hours now. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it was just like this, this, it was just a natural thing, you know? Like, they're just animals, that kind of thing. And, you know, I went to, um, I actually ended up taking the rabbit to the vet. Um, it broke in its neck, as most Ooh. rabbits do, Ooh. and there's nothing you okay. can do for it. And so I paid for them to euthanize it.
0: What happened? I'm sorry, what? Rabbits. What do you mean, as most rabbits do, like very casually? <laughs> like, you know, they just little snap, snap, they like, oh, go, what?
2: Yeah. Is that a normal way for rabbits to die? It's a normal way for them to injure themselves, because, you know, they're very, like, they can get really skittish. Um, they actually will jump sometimes, and the way that they jump will snap their necks or snap Jesus.
0: their back. So yeah. they get like depressed and like low key kill themselves. I don't know what they're doing. Like, Oops, life is too hard. No more carrots. <laughs> the shit. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> Bugs, buddy, lie to us. <laughs>
1: it's 100% also related. So, there's like I said, so many different hurdles, but that's definitely a huge one. Um, a lot of, well, not a lot of, but a good portion of students who come into or who are accepted into that school grew mm-hmm. up on farms or grew up horse riding and having multiple pets. And, and you said that. It's so funny because I was on a video chat the other day and I, one of my three cats. So I'm half black, half Puerto Rican.
2: Asked, that means you're
1: black. Breaking generational curses with these pets here. I'm telling you. So <laughs> I was on a video chat. One of my cats walks up and. And one of my black friends on the chat goes, "That's a cat," and I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "Oh," because <laughs> I already knew. I, you know, I was like, "What do you like? What do you mean? Like, I'm playing, I'm like, what's wrong?" And she's like, "Black people don't have cats." <laughs> like, oh. Uh, so before anyone gets upset, obviously we know some black people have cats because we have a cat, and Jamie's a black person with a cat. It's
0: just so funny. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So if you don't grow up having that like connection to animals or even knowing that it's important for animals to go to feed beds, um, why would you ever consider that as a profession for yourself? So yeah, you're right. It's, it just takes a lot of education and it takes a lot of, not for just the students for themselves, but also for their families. Because I mean, to be prejudiced or have a stereotype here, but most families of color, I feel like make decisions as a unit so if the parents don't understand or if the parents have these misconceptions about what the profession is or how student loans for it are important, the tuition across the board for vet med is pretty pricey, but the parents don't see it as an investment in their kids like happiness or future or like dream job. They just see it as debt yeah. and there's a big difference between educational debt and like credit card Victoria Seabert running it up to what, 70K. So it's just educating- Look at that. <laughs> i'm just i'm just like doing a number out there i don't know
0: um so a lot of panties girl
2: Listen, yeah really quick sidebar so victoria's secret every once in a while like i have a credit card i've had it for years every once in a while they'll bump up my credit limit and i'm like you're not gonna get me <laughs> nope i have never gone past a certain amount with them and i'm like yeah. i never will there's no reason for me to have a credit limit of that much like but for panties and bras like no plus their panties and bras their bras don't last that long they're garbage okay. no they right.
1: don't they have sort of a garbage company as a whole Yes, is, but that's a different topic Yeah,
2: it is. we'll bring you back for that one <laughs> we'll trash <laughs> talk <you>
1: totally <laughs> <better>. <laughs> um, before we go any further though I forgot to mention um, Doreen had made a, a point however long ago it was and my mind wandered but I think what's a hugely important thing, and that's something I wish I could somehow educate everyone on at once, is that there is a difference between racism and prejudice. So literally, the only people in the United States and a lot of other countries, surprisingly enough, the only people who are literally or capable of being racist are white people, because racism is basically systemic prejudice so it's all the barriers that have been put into place to keep people of color from being great but uh, clearly they haven't succeeded in that and so people use the word racist and prejudice interchangeably prejudice anyone can be prejudiced so you could be a prejudiced black person against white people that is perfectly a thing that happens but be a black person who's racist against white people. It's just people use those words interchangeably, and people hear the word racist and their buttholes cling <laughs> like <laughs> you know, if you accuse someone of being racist, they're like, because that's like a disgusting thing to be. Like, why would you want to be racist? Like, I'm not racist, but they don't realize like supporting a president who has time and time again done things to to lessen people of color in this country, like, that support is racism. It, you're supporting the system that is allowing the, like, dismantle of the people of color, like, that is racist. It doesn't mean you're out here, like, lighting crosses on fire in, in like, my yard or whatever, or slashing my tires because I have a Black Lives Matter sign on my front porch because that's a thing that happened. That's racist.
2: <laughs> yeah, I remember you telling me that. I was like, That actually happened. Wow. Yeah. Welcome
1: to Georgia. But it doesn't always, it's not always something like outwardly actionable like that. And so I propose we come up with a new word for racist. So people, when you say, like, you're such a marshmallow, they're like, oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) They'll still be listening because they didn't get defensive from being called racist. And then you can be like, hold on, let me explain to you what I mean by that. Like, I think if people had a better understanding, of racism, and understand that it 's not always something overt or hugely egregious, like or whatever that e-, e word is meaning bad
2: egregious
1: egregious, yes girl um,
2: <laughs> we got you
1: <laughs> it doesn 't always have to be something like that big to can, to fall under being can, like called a racist, so I think it 's really important to know the difference between both um, and not to say i don 't just say racist for prejudice because. Like I said, most people don't know the difference.
0: So I know um, just for me, like when I think about like bias against others, I would say in the workplace, I've seen it a lot where I noticed that some people who get promoted and this is across all of my jobs, the people that get promoted tend to look very similar um, to the the hiring managers, you know, like they're either from the same like background, socioeconomic background, you know, maybe place, school, college. Um, you know, whatever it is, but they tend to hire people who look like them, tend, tend to hire people who talk like them. And, you know, a lot of times you'll hear stuff like, oh, well, they're just not polished enough. And it's like, but are they knowledgeable? And would they be good at their job? Or do they just not sound like you? You know, and so I think that that for me is what I have seen that's very prevalent is that these people aren't racist at all, but their circle is so small that they only know people who are just like them. They grew up with people like that. They still are friends with people like that and they, their circle really never expanded enough to include people who are different culturally, racially, you know, all of that. They, everyone is in the same kind of like little box and they keep on hiring people to go into that box. And then there's no room for anyone who doesn't fit into the mold that they've created of people who look like them. And, um, and so that's something I know I've, I've seen a lot in the workplace, but what I'm curious to see is how do you recognize the racial bias? Like, how do you say, here are some things that you're doing that may be a little biased?
1: Like for yourself or in others? I mean,
0: everybody, I guess. But for me too yeah go ahead use me as an example no i don't like
1: i don't mean like you specific i just mean like where are questions that i can ask myself am i being racist right now
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so i mean i think in others it's pretty easy to spot you look for like a lot of body language um and a lot of verbal language and so so terms like i not polished enough or they didn't fit the culture stuff like that is that yeah yeah there's actually like a which is nice enough, kind of like a big thing in the corporate world to try to stop using that kind of reason for not hiring people because it's pretty obvious what that means. And so I think those are kind of like buzzwords if you hear, pay attention to who the person was that they interviewed and see if you can spot like, oh, okay, well, there's your bias. For yourself, I think it, it takes it's a lot of growth to recognize your, in yourself because, like I said, people don't want to think that they have those prejudices or that they contributing to racism, because it's a horrible thing to, to do and feel for most people, I would hope. And so I think it's just being willing to kind of be vulnerable to yourself and and understand that you're calling yourself out not to be a dick to yourself, but to improve yourself, because you, if you want to be truly inclusive of everyone, you first have to recognize that there are some people that obviously I'm not immediately inclusive of, and I have to figure out why that is.
2: So my question, my next question is, um, you mentioned that you guys are reaching out to school-age children to kind of get them into your program and get them more interested in veterinarian school. What does that look like? Are you guys like going into the schools and kind of having like individuals, I guess, do like a presentation for the school or, um, you know, how does that work? Like, What, it, what, what exactly does
1: that look like? Yeah, it depends on the age range. So Purdue University, um, Dr. Sandra San Miguel there, she came up with this really awesome program that um, she got a grant through the, I think it's through the NHI, the National Health Institute, which is kind of like a big deal. And so she got this grant from them and kind of does subgrants for other vet schools to get um, money and a curriculum that she developed to take out to after-school care programs in areas kind of with either high levels of low socioeconomic status or high levels of um, historically underrepresented students. Um, So you go to those after-school care and you deliver them to them and it's stuff like bone doctors and like learning about anatomy and and it's fun and they get to color and so they learn about all the different things that a veterinarian does to kind of I think open up their mind beyond just cats and dogs.
2: You guys remember um when schools had um what is it a job day or what have you
0: career day whatever
2: yeah Yeah, career day and the parents i don't (laughs) do they even do that anymore like i mean obviously not this year but like i don't even feel like that's i mean obviously i'm not a teacher or anything i don't know i just feel like that's not a thing anymore
1: so yes we do get contacted to ask to provide veterinarians for career days um it's just really funny because Pretty much all the vets that we have at the building that I'm in are um, either research or faculty-ing. So they're either teacher-ing, teaching. (laughs) Um, They're either teaching or they're doing research. So they don't have time to go out to these schools. (laughs) But it's, uh, I mean, we do have some, some faculty will kind of almost force time because it's really important to them. And so, yeah, I think it's just educating them when they're younger.
2: That's awesome. But I definitely think that's something that, I found valuable when I was younger, Um, just seeing, I honestly personally, I don't remember seeing a vet um, for my career days, but I didn't have very many, but just being able to at different points, meet different people of different professions and just get excited and stuff like that. Like it's invaluable. Um, I did want to touch on the really recent um, executive order that Trump put out, just in September, the end of September. Um, this is regarding um, him.
0: Education?
2: Yeah, and yeah. educating um, the workplace and having these programs to teach inclusivity and diversity um, and to help recognize racism, prejudices within the workplace um, and just how crazy that was. <laughs> like, I remember hearing about that and I was like, wow, this is we're literally trying to take it back. Like you feel like we took so many steps forward to get to a place where we could include that in our job training, because obviously people aren't getting enough of that information when they're kids. And then now he's trying to take it back, um, and say that these programs are basically race. He said something like those programs are racist, to yeah. white people, it, also like, it
0: makes them uncomfortable.
2: I'm like, what? So <laughs> I'm gonna read this really quick. Um, so the order reads: Many people are pushing a different vision of America that is grounded in hierarchies based on collective social and political identities, rather than in the inherent equal dignity of every person as an individual. Such an ideology is rooted in the pernicious pernicious and false belief that America is an irredeemably racist and sexist country, that some people simply on account of their race or sex are oppressors and that racial and sexual identities are more important than our common status as human beings and Americans.
1: Yeah, this, um, when this was announced, I had a immediate nervous diarrhea because I'm, well, there was my career, um, I just like the way that that's used to explain nerves. Um, it it scared me, like not only for my career, obviously, but just what it implies. Like
2: we don't like you telling us that we may have behaviors that are racist or prejudice. So we're just not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why,
1: like I said, like I really truly feel like we just need a new word for racist. So when people hear it, they're they're at least before they get on the defense, they're like, Go on, like, can you explain to me what you mean? Because like Doreen said, it makes it makes them uncomfortable to hear these things like that they know are true about themselves and and that's why it's so hard to work on that kind of implicit bias in yourself because it's not comfortable to know that maybe you're not as amazing of a person as you thought you were or like to address that in yourself is is a huge deal.
0: I think it goes to the point that a lot of people have a hard time seeing themselves as being a bad guy sometimes it doesn't mean that you're a bad person yeah. but we all play the villain in someone's story you know yeah. like it doesn't mean that you're a bad per- but we where no one is perfect so right. if you can't see that you <clears throat> may not behave a hundred percent like perfectly all the time you're gonna have a hard time recognizing some of your bias and if you think that you're always right you're gonna have a hard time recognizing your bias when we were talking I thought about this story that I read a, a while ago and um they were saying that there was a textbook and they were talking about The patterns of immigration that brought the African millions of workers from Africa to the southern United States to work on agricultural plantations you know what else we call that slavery that's slavery that's that was not a pattern of immigration like what Is that what we're saying? And so those are the things that make me upset because if you change the way that things are written in the history books, it almost whitewashes the the horrible history that we have. Yeah. And how are we ever going to move past it if we don't even acknowledge that it happened?
2: Yeah, that's so, exactly what I was thinking with this order. I was like, this is just another attempt at whitewashing yeah. um, this history that we have when we're just now getting moving so much more um, closer to having a greater understanding of this and you know just what was it last year was like the whole big like white people being woke movement Chelsea Mm -hmm. Handler did like her special and Katy Perry's over here like I'm not like appropriating your culture I just want to be more woke (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know Um, just stuff like that and while I think those movements are great I also think that at some point, and I, I tried to explain this to Bill too, and he understood me, sometimes I feel like it goes so far, they're just, like, pandering to us, almost.
1: Yes. It's it's white. I mean, it's white guilt. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you're guilty about being white unless you're a white supremacist. Like, you have so many, so many more, like, opportunities in life just because of the color of your skin, and it, we can't blame you for it, obviously. And so I think people hear that and like why would you not be offended or like get on the defense hearing that if somebody told me that I'd be like ooh like what yeah. um, but i mean what it boils down oh. to no so i was saying the other the other part of this order that's kind of funny to me is that it's clearly him trying to, or was sorry RIP Trump trying to pander to the only people who support him that outwardly which are people who would agree that no like what did, they didn't do anything wrong like there's nothing just because i was born with white skin and i get more things because of it like you should just work harder so people who who think with that i think tend to endorse trump and so this was like the perfect last minute thing to throw in there like saying like no we're not gonna let them change the way that our children and employees and learn about history like they're gonna learn the way that actually not the way anything happened like how is it that I get to college age and beyond and then now well I mean like now I'm 33 but I mean in those in those days like why did it take 20 plus years for me to start actually learning real history like the real black history not the patterns of immigration type of history like that is racism and it's said it's not it's not anyone out here like throwing nooses on trees. It's nothing crazy like that. And that's what makes it scarier is that it's all of these little things that add up to keeping people of color feeling like we have no power. Like we're just always going to be oppressed and kind of like what Jabby was talking about a little bit too. It's, I feel like a lot of it, yes, it's awesome to have these allies. Mm -hmm. George Floyd uh, was killed and we had all the protests and all these people posting the black squares on Instagram and all these people, um, joining the anti-racist book clubs and all these people saying how can I help you as an ally like at the end of the day almost half of the country still voted for Trump yes when you look at the percentage of white women who voted for him of those total votes it's like you are the ones like a few months ago saying like you're down with us like yeah you, like you're our ally but when it comes down to it people are just going to look out for what they think is in their own best interest. Yeah. So so it takes, I think it's going to take a lot of people of color understanding, like we also have to do this for ourselves. Like maybe we'll have some allies who will fight as hard as we're going to fight, but it has to be like a unified front thing. And it can't just be the black people, with the black people and the African-Americans, with the African-Americans, like everyone has to come together. Yeah. It's just, It's it's a lot to think about, and, like, I think about it all the time because it's what I do for work, and find it really fascinating and so important, so it's, like, it's crazy how, when you think about simple things, like, 666 is the chemical breakdown of melanin, and it has been made to be, yeah, so you didn't even know that.
2: Girl, do you see my eyes?
1: Yes, so it's, like, all the little things, like, just centuries of, like, putting people of color down, like, what kind of power do we have in ourselves that they're so scared for us to figure it out for ourselves?
2: Don't tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was thinking about it when we were talking about educators, um, you know, teaching this history. I'm thinking about my history teachers that were Black. And the fact that they were teaching, they didn't really, even like my most, one of my favorite history teachers I had in high school um Doreen I don't know if you had the same teacher briefly um he ended up being assistant principal at Reef um I can't remember his name but even what though he's talking to did I say
0: Doreen yeah I was like girl I did not go to school with you I That's, that. that's
2: <laughs> <totally>. Veronica <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry I was going
1: <laughs> go to high school with that so. no
2: <laughs> like where were you bitch <laughs> um my bad. So oh, um, up. <laughs> <laughs> he was there, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, but he like, even he was like a very exciting teacher. Like a lot of people liked, a lot of students liked him, you know, totaled down. But he essentially just taught us from the book, you know, and those books were all whitewashed. And, you know, did the same thing. Um, Even though I, I feel like he even like, you know, Black History Month is when they like really focused on, you know, Black people and whatever and. And I was just kind of, I'm thinking about it now. And I'm like, that's so crazy. Like it's, everything has been so whitewashed that even our black teachers were teaching us just the whitewashed versions. And yep. I wonder where, where, how they feel about that now, you know, as educators of, you know, continuing that um, process.
1: One of my friends is um, doing digital learning for her son in kindergarten. And she said the other day they were learning about um, Columbus Day or sorry, Indigenous Peoples Day. Mm-hmm. And um, after, I think, doing whatever lesson they had, the teacher went on to, like, explain, like, well, Columbus wasn't actually, like, a good person. At all. Yeah. And so it's really great. Like, obviously, you have to make it age appropriate. But for students, for kids that young to, and for that teacher to be, like, feel empowered enough to be able to say something like that is awesome.
2: That's beautiful. That is, that's the kind of teacher I want for my kiddos. Um. Yeah. Bill Bill kind of does that sometimes he'll tell me like he's kind of tried to explain certain things to his students like age appropriate whether it's a political or social issues that are happening in you know in the world that they're they're the kids are talking about so like he'll do his best to kind of like let them know like hey this is like what this means and you know you should really you know if you guys are really interested in this you guys are talking amongst yourselves then look into this information and you know you talk to your parents and stuff like that so it is, it's it's important, not, I mean, and he's a music teacher, so it's important for all educators in those positions to be ready to talk to students about these things that are happening.
1: Um, I was going to say, I will say not just educators, but parents too. Like I talked to my five-year-old about, we talked about obviously Trump and the election and everything, and just if we want people to be able to think critically and to think for themselves, I think it's really important for them to have as many of the facts as is age appropriate for, I mean, we talked to Logan about everything he knows about the virus and we were watching the Biden talk yesterday. And he was, I was like writing down quotes from him on Facebook and like every other one was like, Hey, put your mask back on. The virus isn't gone. Like, <laughs> you were just like showing the audience who were, who were waiting for Biden. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's I love that, like, I love that he has like his own opinions like that. Like, so I don't know. I, I love that the teachers are able to do that if they're in, in a school where they're comfortable doing so. Mm-hmm. But it also has to come from home as well.
2: I'm glad you brought up uh, Biden, actually, because it's one of the last things I wanted to touch on was um, Kamala Harris. Um, yeah, all, buddy. give her a round of applause because this bitch, especially oh. my girl. Okay, listen, she just told the whole world last night that black women are the backbone of this country. And I can't even say that without tears welling up in me because talk about being seen. Like just being seen as like, oh my God, like-
1: As a person?
2: As a person and an important person. Yep. And just saying, you guys have been overlooking us, the most undervalued, underappreciated woman in the world. Um, and she just told the whole world like we are holding this country up and that was just so inspiring and also I I didn't know that she went to um, Howard you know and I think that helps that's going to help change the view of what proper schools you should be going to if you want to reach a higher office or be involved in politics at that level um now, I mean, even we know like in the black community and, you know, it, Howard is respected obviously on a certain level, but it's only, to me, I feel like it's only been respected as, in the, within the black community really as like a great school.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: now she kind of set the stage that um, these HBCUs, these are schools that are great, you know, and there is equally as good as Princeton and Yale and all this other stuff. Um, which are predominantly white, um, and where most of our political figures come from. Um, But if you go to these schools, you can achieve this. You know, it's just changing the game of how people view, um, you know, Black people, Black education, um, and what we really have to offer. Like, it's really, it's crazy. It's like a crazy moment in time. Like, you thought you were really excited about Obama? Yeah, I know. (laughs) This shit is crazy. Like, and then all the other ladies that won their offices, women of color that won office, um, Alexandria. Um, that's, that's amazing.
1: I, yeah, there was a whole trope of them here in, in where I live in Georgia and the majority of them won and I was so excited. Like I was, that's just so cool, yeah. Um, but it's, it's interesting that you kind of mentioned that it's not only specific to HBCU, it's kind of specific to, I would say like even community colleges or like even like smaller colleges and that's a huge thing in vet med is um, removing that bias from seeing like a local community college on someone's application understanding that you don't know what their life situation was community college is cheaper and if you're into debt for like 100k plus for vet school you want to limit what you owe in undergrad so um i like where i work we we do a holistic approach to admissions including making sure that we're not giving them extra like extra consideration just because of the school that they went to yeah. like you see a local college we haven't heard of before um the student may have a 4.0 there they may have worked full time while getting that 4.0 they may have had to take care of sick pets and and on top of that they were still earning the required a, no- a number of um veterinary veterinarian hours like working with a vet so it's more so like that gives you the grit that you need to survive like a curriculum like that school, which is really difficult. It gives you the grit that you need to fight against all the odds of being in, um, born to an immigrant and becoming a vice president. I don't see any reason to not respect any of these schools who don't have big names. That is a clear type of racism. It's systemic because the only people who can afford to go to those types of schools are the wealthy white people. And so they get extra consideration when they graduate these big name schools because people recognize that name. They see on the resume and they're like, oh, wow, this must be a good worker," which clearly is not true. (laughs) um, And so I think taking weight away from from institution names is is a huge deal for me too.
2: Yeah, that's cool. I love it.
1: Yeah, I'm happy for her. Um, Obviously we're recording this in November. You said it's being released in December. So I'm, cautiously optimistic about what's going to happen yes. a little bit nervous about um trump supporters getting unruly mm-hmm. uh, but my black lives Matter signs so staying up so maybe i'll get another one
2: <laughs> you make it bigger yeah. <laughs> i just want you to be safe as well and uh for both of you i mean you guys are both in georgia so both of you i want you to be safe and it crazy
0: out here yeah I wanted to just go back to the whole Kamala Harris thing for me it's not just the fact that she is a um you know she, she's representing a minority but she's a woman and so long have women been denied these a lot of these political positions and we're coming through like with the force like we've been there the whole time so it's just like now we're finally getting what's due to us and I love the strength that they display while you know not like still keeping some of their like softness you know like Mm -hmm. she's so pretty which doesn't matter by the way but I mean she's educated she's well-spoken she's well-versed she is she's truly like the quintessence of what i would want from a woman representing us you know in the mm-hmm. white house i think she has like the style of grace and and she's she knows her stuff um and so for me i'm really proud of her and i do also think that the whole situation with biden you know, he was, he was the VP for Obama, you know, and Obama has not spoken out about anyone. Like he hasn't spoken out in favor of anyone for a while. And I think he was just like, of course, they're going to vote for Biden. Like, why would anybody vote for Trump? And when he saw that, like, oh, y'all are crazy out here. Okay. So let me go (laughs) ahead and say something to be clear as the last rational person in the white house, do not vote for this man again. (laughs) Like, I don't know why I have to say this, but I will. And he, he finally spoke out and I was just like, yes, you know, because there were so many people that were upset with the fact that, uh, you know, a man who was, you know, half black was in the White House and he was the president. He doesn't represent us. and And they really dug their heels in and it made them ignorant, you know, and. And just and a little bit dangerous, let's be honest. I mean, you've seen them. Like, they've been running people off the road. They've been blocking in the ballots. They've been following people, threatening, threatening Black men in, in woods with nooses. I mean, you know, all these Black men popping up, hung from a tree. Oh, it's suicide. Bullshit. And yeah. the problem that we have with a lot of this bias and blatant racism is that it has infiltrated into our law enforcement. I am not one of those people like, we should defund the police. I don't necessarily believe that. I don't know what the solution is. I think that education is the first place to start, but also like finding these people and getting them out. It's not just in police officers, it's in the FBI, it's in the CIA. I mean, it goes all the way up. There's a lot of racist people that hide in plain sight. So that's why I was like, I wish we had like a test where we were like, okay, here are the questions that you need to answer so we can have a better idea of who has these biases and who's just a a plain out racist and you know like that's interesting because they do that for jury duty all the time Yep, but not for not for anything else
1: i will say that the history of like the police force and oh yeah in general is like it was literally built to be racist like to get free labor out of black men, people of color. And we still drive by these people on the roads today. They're picking up.
0: Yeah, they still have like those like chain gangs and stuff.
1: It's free free labor and it's disgusting. It's like, that's a whole other issue as well. Um, But what I was going to say is like, there's other countries who require a four-year degree Mm -hmm. to apply to become a cop. Like, why can't you like a high school diploma no training whatsoever and be like yeah i want to well i mean you know cops get training after but you know like no educational like book opening four-year degree i personally do support the defunding the police i think people that's another term that needs a new name you hear defunding the police it sounds like okay all the cops are gone it's been proven time and time again that that the way that the system is set up is not going to work for rehabilitation it's working for putting them back and giving us tax dollars or if it's like a corporation jail prison whatever like it's a system that was built to keep itself earning money yeah so if the money is able rather than going to give people like a tank or like extra SWAT like how often do you truly need SWAT gear that you need to get some like All the time like diverting that money to like education and mental health services are able to truly kind of stop that cycle that's really all that defund defunding police means is like stopping stopping the prison pipeline um shot yes (laughs) shot um
0: my thing is about that though is that like i still think that there are a lot of officers in the world that do good and they got into those fields to do good and to help others and to protect Others, but a lot of people didn't, and I really wish we could just get rid of those people.
1: Yeah, um, yeah we gotta do the Thanos snap.
0: Yeah, racism be gone. <laughs> um, so I do want to talk a little bit about overcoming implicit bias and things that you can do to reduce that. So first, uh, recognize that you have stereotypical thinking. And a lot of these stereotypes, let's be honest, are built on some aspects of the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, substitute assumptions and biases, get to know and understand individuals, explore new perspectives, and be open to increasing opportunity for positive contact. So I know the other day we went to a brewery and yesterday, so with the election and everything happening, we were all just like, mm, it was, and there weren't a lot of us in that particular brewery. And so we walked in, we were both like, oh gosh, you know, let's hope like nothing happens. And so this lady was like, just do it like really loud, really aggressive. And we both were just like, oh shit, here we go. And we realized that she was just saying the Nike logo that was on his shirt. She's like, I love that shirt. Yeah, you should just go out there and just do it and have a great time. We're like, oh, you're drunk. Okay, so you're not racist, <laughs> you're just a drunk person. But the fact that like that fear was there yeah. for like half a second, like oh, crazy white lady. Oh no, Karen, no, please not today. Mm. Um, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be there. So I, I, I really, I'm a big fan of educating everyone you know as much as possible and as and a lot of times i am the only black person in a room and i talk to everyone exactly the same i don't even give them a chance to treat me (laughs) racistly anyway because i just talk to everyone as if they're not and sometimes you can see that light bulb where they're like damn she's really cool for it no 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 don't stay for a black girl i'm just a cool person done and yeah. like sometimes you have to be the one to help them overcome that bias not every black person is ghetto and doesn't know how to talk properly or whatever and some people are going to be ghetto and they may not talk properly and still be well educated perfect mm-hmm. example of that is plies plies is the most ignorant person like he has a song where he says the n-word literally over a hundred times in three minutes yes um Got has a college degree well educated and he chooses his persona because that's what makes him money. Yeah, you know. And so you, what I'm saying for a lot of people, you can't judge a book by its cover. I am guilty of treating people with these stereotypical biases, especially people of other cultures that I don't have a lot of um, interactions with. And so I'm working on overcoming that by recognizing the fact that yeah, I probably have said something in my head that I shouldn't have.
1: But calling yourself out is like the the first step to it, and taking time to analyze. And um, there's actually. I was Googling it so I can give you the right name. Project Implicit. And it's a research project that uh, Harvard is working on. So I just you, took it. You took it. it. Yeah, it's really cool. They have a whole bunch of like different tests, like obviously black-white um, bias. They have it on gender. Um, I think there was like a Trump one on there, which LOL, a test. There's one on like sexual orientation, black
0: and yeah. white. There's yeah. a whole bunch of stuff, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah so Project Implicit. Project Implicit by Harvard is really good to go on there and you can take a few tests, take one test, just kind of open your eyes a little bit that maybe you do have some bias. And once you recognize that and once you can confirm it with yourself, understand that It doesn't make you a bad person. It's gonna make you a real bad person if you're just like, whatever, but working on accepting that everyone does have bias and working on that that includes you. um, I think that's a really great first step and like you said in here, getting to know more people and and understanding them and what they stand for and understanding that while they may not be a representation of everyone like them, like you understand that, okay, there are other types of this type of person or whatever. Um, and just allowing yourself to have those new, new opportunities and new experiences and really makes it an eye-opening like perspective, I guess. I
2: just wanted to say, um, so, if people are listening, you haven't figured it out yet. Veronica and I have been friends since high school. Mm -hmm. Um, For some reason, I don't know why she still likes me, but (laughs) um, I have to say, this is really interesting for me. And Doreen, I don't know if you feel the same, but I feel like in the way that we grew up, um, we were more into alternative scene kind of thing. A lot of more white friends kind of thing. Um, Our race wasn't, like at the, necessarily at the forefront of like our day-to-day thoughts, I would say. Um, But growing up and really growing up into like the women that we've become like and really fully embracing like, okay, like we did not get the opportunity to learn so much about our culture in school. um, Or, you know, maybe we didn't have as many black friends as we may have wanted back then. it's really interesting to me to see us grow into this and sort of just be advocates for um, our culture. And then I told Doreen on another episode, I was like, now that I'm looking back, I'm like, no, I like, I have been a like where I thought that I wasn't a part for some reason, younger as a a part of the black culture. I was like, no, I was like, I, you know, you realize the things that you grew up with and like, you know, obviously with your family, but like just, the mixture of culture that you have. It's just interesting to me just to see all of us just kind of becoming, I don't know, just different was, we grew up with, well, you know?
1: Yeah, it's real funny that you say that though, cause that's like a huge reason of like why I am the way that I am today. Like so passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion is because I wasn't taught that. Like, I think I just learned it naturally because we were lucky to grow up in a city that was very diverse. Um, so that it just kind of came to me like, yeah, obviously like, why would you not have friends of like different ethnicities or anything like that? Yeah. So, so I think I just we just got lucky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We did it. We did it. We really South did Florida it. is definitely a melting pot of a ton of cultures, and it's awesome. Like, but that's all that I knew. So when I moved to Denver, I was just like, but where's where's everybody mm-hmm. else at? Now, yeah. You know, like, it was, you know, I, I grew up with different foods and going to different houses and, you know, Dominican friends, my Cuban friends, my Puerto Rican friends, my Black American friends, my other Haitian friends. It was just so many different ethnicities that I thought that all cities were like that until I left. And I was like, y'all really just want to hang out with each other? Like, I'm just <laughs> don't understand. Where's um, the <laughs> <laughs> Where the Black people at? <laughs> yeah, like, It definitely is a change. So um, before we, I just want to add a couple more stats real quick. Um, So a lot of companies are working on diversity and inclusion efforts. um, And there are some metrics that help them to kind of push towards that direction. Because if they didn't see a positive change, let's be honest, they wouldn't really try to do too much about it unless there was a profit in it for them. So decision-making by diverse teams actually outperforms that of individuals 87% of the time, and um, research has shown that diverse organizations outperform competitors by 35%, so it literally pays to be diverse and inclusive, so if you work for a company or you work at a school or whatever you guys do, please go out there and advocate to be more diverse and to be more inclusive for not just Black people, but everyone, you know, like uh, if you just see people look like you around you, that's a problem, switch it up. Yep.
1: Yeah, or if you don't see anyone who looks like you, that's a problem, too. Um, I will say, just real quick, I think there are some companies who would and who are right now working on inclusion and diversity, even for more reasons beyond just like the business case for it. Um, while that is a positive, I think it's much more effective if the people in charge are putting forth these efforts because it's something that they truly believe in and truly value. Um, I think work on the inclusion and inclusion first and diversity will be a lot more easily achieved because if you bring in a whole slew of black and Puerto Rican and and Asian people to your company and they get there and like, okay, like now what do we do? Right. Like you want it to be a culture where they feel comfortable being themselves, where they don't feel like they have to code switch, which I feel like I do all the damn time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's exhausting, like, being all these different people for all these different people. Um, And so creating a culture of inclusion and and accepting and and celebrating differences and understanding that diversity is more than just the color of your skin. Like, you could be white as a sheet and be diverse on the experiences you've had. You could speak multiple languages that I don't speak. Um, So everyone is diverse in their own way. And I think accepting that and understanding it just allows it to happen more organically and that's when it has has more of a lasting impact is when it's done with a purpose for more than just oh this is good for the bottom line mm-hmm. um, because you hire those people and they walk into an environment like that they're going to know like okay this is not what i was promised um,
2: oh, you can hire
1: and it's so expensive to hire new people like i don't understand just make it a good working environment and you'll keep a good employee so <laughs>
2: We definitely actually, I mean, this week we have coming out, um, was it the Toxic Friends and Toxic Coworkers, but we also have like uh, another Toxic Work Environment show that we're working on. I would hope that maybe we could have you back because I feel like you feel like us, like really passionate about this. And part of the toxic workplace is also inclusivity and diversity and what that plays in there. But just especially these these days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But just want to add that in there right, right quick. Just be like, this is, is, we're getting, we're like going into territory of like just going off on tangents.
1: (laughs) I know there's so much about it. That's what makes it so cool. There's literally, you could learn all the things and there would still be something new to learn tomorrow. So it's really cool.
2: Oh man, I would be really happy to have you as, my, not, I mean, you're not a teacher per se, but like, I mean, they look to you for, for the information for inclusivity, diversity, like coming up with these plans. And I would feel lucky to be under you, um, okay. and, you know what I mean? But learning from you, because I mean, you've definitely are very insightful on this and you're doing really great work.
1: Also, I didn't get to show you my pen when it was lighter out, but it says, wash your hands. And don't be a racist. Oh, I love it. <laughs> My life's motto.
2: Send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. All right, guys. So um, again, Veronica, thank you so much for joining us. we um, are so happy to have you. Um, to be
1: here, Thank you for inviting me and whatever thank else I'm supposed you. to say a podcast guest.
2: <laughs>
0: say what you want, girl.
2: Do what you want. Okay. It's our show. We let you do what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we hope you guys feel a little bit more enlightened from today's episode. Um, There's obviously a lot to unpack here, a lot to talk
1: about. So message me on LinkedIn if you want to talk more.
2: Oh yes. Um, Do you, are you okay if we put up your, your contact? Awesome. So yeah, we'll, we'll hook you guys up. um, If you guys want to learn a little bit more, Um, maybe you are interested in veterinarian school and, um, or want to see some inclusivity, diversity um, in your schools. So um, we'll do that. We'll hook you up with a link with, to Miss Veronica and, or I'm sorry, Mrs. Pennington.
1: Ugh, no, Excuse Veronica. Me.
2: But she's Veronica, okay? For this, these purposes, this is Veronica. <laughs> that is Miss Jackson, that's right. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. How, how long has it been since you've heard that joke?
1: Uh, about two weeks. Oh, My- wow. My maiden name's Jackson, so that's why.
2: Damn, two weeks?
1: Black, thank you.
2: Excuse you. Okay. <laughs> I love that you're, that's your maiden name. And then for me to get a black name, I had to marry a white guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But um, again, guys, uh, thanks again for joining us. If you like what you hear, uh, please make sure to rate us on your favorite podcast platforms and stop by the socials and say, hey, bitches, hey.
0: <laughs> but Remember, stay woke.
2: Woke, woke, and not katie Perry woke. Like, don't be worried about it.
0: Talk about like childish Gambino.
2: I stay woke.
0: <laughs> oh, that was childish Gambino? Yeah, girl. He is multi talented. <sighs> I love him so much.
1: Yeah, he's the best. All
0: right, guys.
2: We'll talk to you later.
0: Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. Oh.
2: The Ebeneas podcast was created, written, recorded, and produced by jabby and Doreen. Theme music by Chris Black of Truck Music Productions.